Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was... Nobody expects the Torque Inquisition. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Torque Inquisition, uh, our little offshoot podcast from uh, Exploring Tolkien where we interview more interesting people than us, more talented people than us. <laughs> no, we're, we're here just conveying information, but today we have the pleasure of having Ted, and I'm going to get this right because for many years I said this wrong, Ted Naismith, right? right? Ted Naismith, yeah. all right, here, and I mean, what a pleasure it is for us to to have you here because I think for us who read The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion before the films ever came out, before anything was ever done, right? Your, your art and John Howe and Alan, kind of the, the big three, I guess, the big holy three. trinity of Tolkien art, <laughs> um, uh, was, was sort of the first vision that we have of that world. Uh, particularly for me, it was uh, this, the, this was the image. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up here. This was the image, the Rivendell. Uh, painting um, yes, right. and the very first job I had when I was working on a computer I brought that in on a floppy disk to use as my background on my desktop um, right. because it was far better than any Windows 95 screen of anything like so so this was I mean this was this was where we started um, and so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna go we you know Michael and I we're gonna chat we're gonna we got some questions we want to find you know for lack of a better term what what makes you tick <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to go into our members section, too, uh, where we have uh, questions from our members. We're going to get into some more specifics. We're going to ask our infamous, famous, Torque Inquisition questions. What do we call them? Confessions from the Comfy Chair. Man, I can't. I still can't, I still don't get that right. All right. So Confessions from the Comfy Chair. I just have to get in my inner Monty Python to remember that. Well, your, your delivery was very Monty Python yeah. as well. So that's good. So if you want to ask those questions, if you want to become a member of our Discord chat, just like, oh, uh, man, I can't remember his name, Verum or something like that. Just became a member like five minutes ago. And I was like, hey, you're just in time to ask Ted a question. And he, so he posted one really fast. And so I have it here for him that he's gonna, we're going to ask in our extended member section. So we'll get into that. You can go to the onewing.com slash member to do that. Uh, and uh, ask questions, get Discord, uh, get, you know, become part of the chat, get the extended podcast, and uh, get discounts on our shop. Because now it's going to be starting to go up if it's not already up by the time this goes out. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so, Ted, good to have you here. We want to... I mean, you probably get this a lot, like the questions like, what got you into Tolkien? How did you get started? Things like that. But I want to know, how did you get started as an artist? What was the first thing? Like where, because we, th- we hear about Tolkien, right? The first thing he did was language, right? He, th- he came up with words and he wanted to know why it was uh, great green dragon rather than green great dragon. Or was right. one of the things. So, so how did you get started into just art, into painting, into that realm? It was simply a case of wanting to draw pictures from a very early age. Um, the, the noteworthy story is that uh, when in kindergarten, um, I was asked to draw a house, and my mom didn't think anything of this, the fact that it was a house with a side showing and a chimney oh. that wasn't going out the side, but up straight. Uh, and it was generally kind of like an accurate picture. Um, but the teacher was quite quite from you know surprised seen enough kindergarten painting to know this was not yeah this is a little advanced not normal now i'm looking at my little grandson who's apparently got 
amazing dexterity and he's drumming and he's got different things going on with two hands and it's really advanced for a two-year-old so uh oh my. i guess you know, he's got a bit of a gift too uh, but yeah. anyway, it was just a typical kind of artistic gift for me and i've drew and drew and drew all through my childhood i stayed saved some of that stuff so it will be going into the art book that i'm trying to prepare oh a whole art book yeah nice uh, well no one else is going to do it, so I, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're gonna, That's fair. You're going to be yeah. punching into our pocketbooks with that again. Right. Dang it. Uh, yeah, I'm, thank you for not doing the calendar this year because I didn't have to buy it this year. It's <laughs> <laughs> hard to find these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think you did you did 2022, right? That was yours, I think. I'm pretty sure. That sounds, I don't yeah. know. I yeah. So many calendars. Oh, uh, but the, the Unfinished Tales calendar would have been it. Yes. It yeah. Be. I think that was it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so that's how you got started painting. So, but, but Linda, let us, let's talk about how did you get into Tolkien? Where, and was it the reading first or was it the visuals? What drew you in when you read him? Definitely the reading. Um, my elder sister was plugged into a little Tolkien fan group at her high school. Um, and I was about to enter high school uh, and had learned of this art course that I could, you know, actually specialize in art, which was big news to me. I mean, I, I you know, had no idea. Uh, so the combination of becoming an art student and kind of getting recognized for my drawings rather than having to kind of put them away because we were busy studying history, not yeah. drawings of anything. Um, and then my sister hands me the Fellowship of the Ring, says, I think you'll like this kind of thing. Uh, hmm. And so, yeah, I immediately took to it and it shifted my ideas for you know, art. Um, I now wanted to draw pictures of the characters um, of the settings and ideas that were presented there it really seized me like it does so so often for people um yeah. and and i just didn't look back it was uh, like okay i gotta draw this this book um and um, has yeah. so what was the first thing you, you drew what was the first image that, that it was pen probably I, I probably still have this i believe i still have this and it's a sheet full of just little drawings of a bit of a mount doom here an mm -hmm. orc there a dwarf swinging uh, an axe, um, little character faces like the hobbits um, or Gandalf and, and that sort of just like random kind of sketches and things that were um, the first picture proper would have been something that was inspired by Lord of the Rings but wasn't actually from the book. It wasn't a scene or anything called Through the Forest and it was you know a kind of storybook scene with three kind of gnome-like characters and, and, you know, woods with eyes coming out of the darkness and this sort of thing. And, and a lot of detail on the leaves and other, you know, aspects of that. Um, and so, yeah, it was. Was it that one? A, that okay, one this there. is from your website. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, this and, the, so how old were you then when you did this? Uh, yeah, 15, I guess. Wow. 15, 16, something like that. Yeah. That's so incredible. It was in art school at the time. This would have been, I guess, about grade 10. Uh, hmm. so the next year. Well, no, grade, grade 11. So the, the final year of this four-year course, grade 12, brought up um, un, um, unexpected party, the unexpected party, mm -hmm. which is the one that I photographed as well as that other one and sent to Tolkien himself just before he passed away in 73. So I was busy doing, doing stuff through 71, 72, and yeah, that's the one. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. And so you actually, so you, this is the... the this is the painting that you sent to Tolkien. Yeah. And, and that one. Okay. And 
did you was it sort of like because the only thing i can compare that to is when i was 12 years old i would i would send well even younger i guess i would send letters to stars and say hey can i get your autograph on a on a picture and they would just send it back to you right but you know for me it was always like well maybe they will maybe they won't um and so for you did what what was your expectation when you sent this like were you like i'm just gonna do it or who who encouraged you because for me i'd be like that's for lack of a better word, that's pretty ballsy to just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I guess I was impressed enough to think that, well, you know, I wanted to share these drawings that I'd made and, and how strongly the book had hit me. And I had no real idea of his popularity or the fandom or anything like that. Oh. Um, it just seemed to me like the thing you do when you admire someone, um, you don't know if they're going to write back necessarily. And in the end, um, I did get a reply. It wasn't in his handwriting or it wasn't a specific letter so much as dictated to his correspondent secretary, signed by her, but conveying his comments, which was absolutely wonderful as far as I was concerned. I, yeah. Wow. That's um, incredible. That is, that's hard for me to imagine. It seems like that's it's, like, it's, it's so like otherworldly now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Then he was still really just an author. I mean, just an author, yeah, but there was no. Yeah. But there wasn't yeah. quite this, you know, anywhere near. Like we, we dreamed for years, like maybe they'll make a movie somehow. That would be. Yeah. And, you know, you maybe know that Stanley Kubrick was United Artists had actually asked him to see, you know, to think about doing this film. Uh, and his, his, I think his daughter was, was like she'd read the book and he just pronounced it unfilmable. And this mm-hmm. is the guy that you know, gave us 2001 Space yeah. Odyssey. He wasn't a stranger to special effects and uh, he was like nope nope not even gonna touch that <laughs> be done. like it would take three four hour long movies which well, <laughs> right, <that too. laughs> well i well it, i don't know if it's just that because i remember having this debate when, when i was a kid with my siblings about that can could they ever make a lord of the rings movie right. and and i just I went at it from the technical side. I thought, I don't think the technology is here yet. And Kubrick, I mean, Kubrick's Kubrick, but I think what it took to make Lord of the Rings, um, even, I mean, I like Jackson's take on it, although I, there are things about it I, I don't prefer, but, but right. there, but, um, you, you know, even to do what he did technically wasn't possible in the eighties, even mm-hmm. Kubrick yeah. or, no, or no Kubrick. So uh, right. yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced it could have been done before that point, but uh, really. it would have been probably a bit cheesy. The kinds of things that were available, you could kind of do something there, but it would right. have been expensive, very difficult, and tedious. And as it was, apparently, he, Jackson took pulled out every trick as far as um, comparative sizes of, of you know, characters in order to shoot scenes with hobbits and full size, you know, with Gandalf. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The force force perspective and all that it was actually quite impressive. Yeah. 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 Although that that's an old style. That was uh, was it? You guys, remember the movie Darby O'Gill and the Little People? That do you guys remember that old Disney? I never, I never saw it. Movie. I, I read the books to my kids. It was but crazy. I never saw it's all like forced perspective and and like guys way up front and paintings and the you know mats in the background and like they, they did an incredible job with that. But right. Gollum, Gollum would not have been the same. That would have been difficult. It would have been like I don't know. I don't even know. It would have been really awkwardly weird. Um, uh, it would have felt like Willy Wonka or something probably. Um. All right. So, so it's been how long? When was your first painting? Was in the seventies. So we're 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 talking wow. many decades now that you've been into this. So in mm-hmm. Tolkien, what 
What is it about it that, that keeps you going? Because, I mean, would you say, I know you do other, other artwork too. I know you've done Game of Thrones and you've done even like album covers. You've done music. You have an album, actually, yeah. that you can go to on your website. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, and even that's Tolkien-based. But what, 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 why do you kind of keep coming back to that? What is it about it that brings you back to his world? It doesn't seem to have a limit. Um, I, you know, hmm. even if I run out of scenes, which I probably never could, um, <laughs> they... Um, going back to some of the ones I've done earlier and feel like I've got something new to add to that or a different way of interpreting it. Um, so I, and now I'm getting private commissions um, mm. regularly. And so that's a great excuse to do a scene that maybe I hadn't thought about. Huh. Um, often they turn out to be some of the best uh, that I do. Um, um, it, yeah, it does seem like a vocation, a life's work, a kind of calling. Um, and it, I think it yeah. saved me as a young man, certainly, mm. to have that kind of focus um, and, and passion on, on all of these things that, you know, that, that one benefits from that. So, uh, and and yeah. it continues to reward, you know, just at regular intervals, like starting with the calendars in the 80s, um, you know, and, and I just kept doing stuff of my own for about 15 years until uh, I got anything published or noticed by uh, wow. Opium's publishers. So that itself was just like testimony. But mind you, yeah. I was doing car paintings as well, just for myself, because I was like crazy about them too. So there's, you know, a certain amount of just volition or whatever the word is uh, going yeah. on there. Um, so, so did you ever get the car that you painted? The first? Um, <laughs> I did buy a Pontiac, yeah, a wagon at Le Mans when my kids were old enough for that. And yeah, yeah. drove oh, it till it was a junk, piece of junk. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Well, this is and this is one of the fascinating things I have to admit because when I was first exposed to your work, it was through the to- the, the Tolkien calendar, and the th- that the thing that struck me most was your mastery, to my mind, of yeah, I have plenty of those. Yep, there we are. Uh, and on that's actually that picture on the front is one of my favorite. We've just done a rerun of the um, Silmarillion in our podcast okay. um, over a, a year period of time, and we've uh, frequently. Um, um, you know, referenced your 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 paintings because we have that uh, 1998 slash 2004 illustrated, which is and your your facility with with landscapes is stunning. But then I look at your car paintings, I think, wow, you know, they seem to me the the, the mechanical perfection of cars and in sort of especially in their idealized state in a painting versus and the versus the beautiful imperfection of landscapes um, and non-standardized, you know, form and and shape seem to me so such like other ends of the spectrum. What what is it that ties them to with it for you? I mean, you seem to like both and I I find it fascinating. Well, the cars came first because I used to love those ads in National Geographic and um, Life magazine, et cetera, and, and kind of collected pictures and, started realizing they were a lot of those pictures were in the brochures that were published each year so i've got a large collection of those now nearly complete uh, nice. and i just absolutely love the artwork of art fitzpatrick and, and van kaufman who worked together mm-hmm. to create the artwork um, and i thought i was going to go and work in that kind of advertising art um, and, you know certainly was ready to do so and have done portrait work uh, car portraiture through um, a gallery in Toronto for a few years as well. So proud of getting commissioned to do stuff from that. And I 
the Tolkien, it's just a whole other thing pulled out of a different place in my psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess hmm. the only word I would apply to both of them is glamour. Hmm. Hmm. And in the you know the Gaelic sense which, of that, word. which is exactly a very old word, actually. Yeah. Um, and, 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 no, yeah. mm-hmm. Glamour so. is a great one. Oh, I love it. I love it. How long does a piece usually take for you? Oh, well, hours and hours and hours. Um, I don't really chart them too often, and they vary depending on the piece of art, okay. of course. So. So. Yeah, no, I know the question. <laughs> I like. Um, I've been building websites for twenty five years, and people say, "Well, how long does a website take?" I'm like, "Okay." Are we talking one page or a thousand pages? Because you never know. Are we talking like a sketch, a pencil sketch, or like a massive, you know? And even if you get that answer, it doesn't really tell you anything important. Right. Except, yeah, it took a while. Right, right, right. And and if it's... (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so... So for these pieces that that you do, like you do, I mean, I I don't know how many you do in a year, but at at some point, I feel like you have to get burned out a little bit, right? You you go through, and there there are times where, what do you do to recharge to get back into the mode of either, you know, what tapping those two wells of, you know... Yeah. Is there, uh, or is it, I mean, some people like me, you just have to, you know, drive through it and eventually the walls break down. Kind of like that. I mean, I don't think about it much. Um, I get tired in the middle of a piece of art. It, you know, it's like I'm tired of looking at it or <laughs> the inspiration is kind of, you know, somewhat uh, exhausted. Um, and it's yeah. just about like the mechanical work of getting through and finishing it because I've, I've established what I want mostly. It's just about the detailing and things. And that can sometimes be a little tiring, but when it's finished and it, um, it's successful, then that uh, that dissipates, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. There are subjects I wouldn't want to take on and hopefully I'm free enough to say no to something that I don't think I would enjoy doing uh, because that's yes, the worst thing. It is, I agree. Being stuck in the creation of something that you, you don't like. Keeps paying dividends. All that's all I can say. Just um, I, I, I get excited. Well, so, about it. Let me ask that. So how long? Because artists is hard. So I've been building websites. We, we hire designers, web designers, and I'll go to. We hire a lot of people right out of college, um, and they'll ha- often have art shows for those students. And about seventy-five percent of them, I want to say, you should not have followed your heart, because mm. when you're up against the other twenty-five percent that clearly has either done more work or is more talented you're not going to get the job. Um, right. And so, but but even then, that last 25% or 20% or however high it is, to actually become successful uh, as an artist, just like becoming successful as an author, is incredibly hard. So at, how long did it, like, at what point were you like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, art is my, that's my primary job, or, or, or did it start early? What, at what point were you sort of free enough to say, I'm, I'm all in on this? Did uh... it... Pretty quickly for me, I guess, because wow. I was in an art course. Um, although I was, you, you know, normally you would have gone on to the um, Ontario College of Art (OCA) um, mm-hmm. and further, you know, your studies and, and refine things. Um, but they were teaching a lot of kind of modern, abstract kind of um, styles, not a lot of basic, you know, nuts and bolts illustration or anything. That, for that, Sheridan College would have been the better choice. Mm-hmm. And then uh, an ad came up in the local paper, North Toronto, for an experienced architectural renderer. And um, I hadn't looked at even that of work at all during high school uh, courses. We had 
various and sundry different courses to mm-hmm. take uh, to prep us for things. But it was illustration work, and I figured, well, worth a shot. Yeah. Um, and went interview. He saw that I was quite talented, and you know, oodles of talent for for realism. And he figured he could teach me the ropes of architectural perspective and what this work was about. And, um, and it ended up paying pretty. But there's still a part of me that loves architecture, and I kind of retired from that now. But that was that was what I called a career because yeah. uh, my, I was doing it in a detached way. It didn't matter that uh, these original pieces were going out of my studio, and and that's why it, it took about 15 years to get published. But uh, once I did have it, I was I wouldn't look back. Um, 1987 calendar with auspiciously John Howe and Alan Lee, and then Roger three artists Garland, featured yeah, yeah. and then uh, we we all went on to having our own calendars and, and recognition after that mm-hmm. um, one of the questions that i had for you ted was and this is i uh, full disclosure this actually comes from my daughter a 19 year old daughter who's an artist as well and and does some of our splash art for the uh for the website and and she had a question for you about what kinds of art you found the most challenging um, and 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 we're specifically looking, obviously, at a lot of your art from the Silmarillion. So I don't know if there's anything from the Silmarillion that bears on the answer to that question. But if not, if or if not, go for it. Oh yeah. Well, um, generally speaking, I tend to avoid battle scenes because of the technical requirements of all of that, the costumes and you know positions, etc. Um, and I have tremendous respect for artists who do specialize in that or who excel at that kind of thing. Um, but um, you know, my initial attraction to Tolkien was the fairy element, and mm-hmm. the otherworldly, and um, the, the various moods and things, I guess, in the landscape, obviously. Um, so when it comes to these things, I will rise to the challenge. Um, images like... The kinslaying at El Quilande in the Silmarillion, that was um, you know, especially um, t- challenging. But a piece of art that uh, Christopher Tolkien encouraged me to do based on a, a previous sketch, a much simpler one. And we have the challenge of, um, you know, first day's architecture, the ships that were supposedly the most beautiful ever created, hmm. uh, and uh, no sun or moon um, to illuminate things particularly, so uh, t- taking some liberties with the light. And then you have to have all these figures, uh, elf upon elf, uh, battling together. So I thought it was a, a pretty successful integration of all those four elements uh, for that reason. But yeah, it's uh, when it works, it's lovely. Um, but yeah, it's it's not my first choice. Hmm. You know, human figure. I'm good at cars and buildings and things of that kind. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, well, all, all lovely. Yeah, and I think, the, like you speak of fairy, and I think um, this, I think Michael and I were talking about this once before, and like a while ago in another episode or something like that, where we talked about the, your drawing, your drawing, sorry, your painting of Luthien okay. dancing in the forest of Meldreth, right? This is sort of the penultimate, or the ultimate, I, the, this informed me about like how Luthien was dancing. It was it 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 showed me that it's not just you know we're not talking modern dance here. Like there's grace, there's beauty, there's something in there, and somehow the way that you drew the figure really captured that for me. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, for my for me as well. There's my imagination is rather picky, but this remains <laughs> this remains um, one of the most formative, probably the most formative image of Luthien from um, for me. 
ever. Um, I, I just, I love this, this painting of Luthien. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I see a little bit of the ballet in it. I don't know what your models were, but, but it is like Jonathan was saying different and there's something fairy like, and of course the, her mm -hmm. surroundings have the, have the touch of fairy. This is, I just love, I love this painting. It's beautiful. I, I, I believe that I, um, in one part of that imagination or the conception of it, was inspired by Pauline Bain's little drawing in the, the uh, Adventures of Tom Bombadil, the, uh, the various poems there. Hmm. There's one of a, a little elf fairy sort of dancing, I believe. But also, <clears throat> you know, I'm thinking of folk dances, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and actually, it was a ballet dancer that um, provided the pose, in this case, uh, uh, to friends of mine who were part of um, a dance troupe. And uh, now it's called Opera Atelier, so they do tremendous uh, work um, with you know, staging full operas as, as well. Uh, mm. But he, his wow. wife, the fellow, the, the couple, his wife, they did a photo shoot um, with various sort of poses, and um, I happened to have the contact sheet for that. And, and we used that very much for this pose because she had the same physique that I thought of as a fairy, you know, very lethe and um, yeah. you know, yeah, slender. Well, let me ask, since <clears throat> this is one of our favorites, do you have, I know this is probably like asking what's your, who's your favorite child, but do you have like a, a piece that you find like where you captured what you wanted to capture, which is favorite seems like such a trite way of saying it, but you know, sometimes um, any artist will say like, there's a vision that you have and then putting it actually into reality is so much harder than the vision, at least for me, than the vision that you initially have. Is there something that you found that was like this, this met the goal that I had that I saw in my head, the, the whatever inspired you. Yes. There's probably a good number of those. Um, and as I've gone ahead, you know, over the years, um, I've gotten more confident and I've gone back to mm -hmm. some subjects I, I did earlier in my uh, artwork. And, um, I, I would say that a number of recent pieces have very much met the criteria for, hmm. to me, you know, achieving what I wanted, very much what I wanted. And so you do start with something that's out of your head um, and an idea, a germ of an idea, but um, it, it can evolve as you're working through. And what you arrive at at the end, hopefully, is even better. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm reading some of the early Tolkien work and marveling at, you know, how sophisticated it is. Um, for his earliest writings, and then you know you trace the evolution of those and how he in, improved and you know deepened the ideas as he went along. Uh, the more he absorbed, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I haven't I, I honestly I haven't until recently been looking at some of your more uh, recent paintings because I, I just they're not out there and they're not published yet. Uh, in in, so, in the same way that you know the Silmarillion books and all the calendars have have been for years. Um, but I, I love this painting of the homecoming or homecoming. Yeah. It, well, it's, is it, is he, I guess he's leaving. Yeah, no, he's coming. The title is returns. The returns. returns. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I'd read it, it'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, Aldarion and Eridus, it's my, it's, um, the most heartbreak I have at Tolkien not finishing a story. Cause it's so like, it's just getting to the great point of what, what he, what Gilgalad told him and what his father is like instituting him as a king. And you're like, Oh, it's going to happen. And then it all just stops. <laughs> exactly. But we have a vision of it here. I just love like the water and the mountains. And it just, it feels, it feels like the Silmarillion to me. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, I know. Anyway. Um, so no, I found it. So from a specific pieces perspective, I found some of your pieces in the story of Turin Turinbar to be um, extremely like landscape pieces like Amunruth and 
and um and the hill of the slain which i believe we actually started talking about um yeah i can't i don't know if we lost part of that jonathan or not okay so so there are these pieces to me i mean this is there's so much of tolkien we just talked about i just talked about how luthien was one of my favorite pieces of yours that you've done but but to me an artist in order to truly like capture tolkien and i know it's fantastic to hear people like me with no artistic talent making statements <laughs> like this but but he in his writing tolkien is so much in love with the land itself of middle earth and mm-hmm. so if you can't capture the land to a, to to an, to an impressive extent then it you, it's a it, in my mind it's kind of it lessens the artwork in a lot of cases and your some of your artwork your landscapes are just stunning i'll just sit and look at them Taniquatil, for example the hill of the slain this one that jonathan just put up um amon ruth i'd never seen anyone do a picture of amon ruth um you know ever since i read about meme the dwarf when when i was a kid and i was read the silmarillion i always wanted a great i, I didn't know i wanted it until i saw your picture but uh, i was i was always kind of trying to imagine the red hill and i couldn't this has has this um, Edgar Allan Poe-like quality, which is fantastic, and just right. it, and this is the moment, of course, before Rion dies, the wife of Huor, who visits the mm-hmm. hills of Slain, and yes. and uh, just the and the bird, the carrion birds. That my daughter, the artist daughter, brought that out too. So, is there a special love that you have for the Turin Turin Bar story? Because I, I, I you, some of your best artwork, in my very subjective opinion, comes from that story. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, the, the tour in the story is, is central to my inspiration, certainly for the Silmarillion. I mean, Baron and Luthien, Fall of Gondolin and Turin, I, all three of those are big um, because, and, and partly because there's very little of it given to us in the narrative, uh, you know, relatively a brief style of narrative in the Silmarillion. And we have the Narn and we have um, the early versions as well, which right. give more details. So it's, there's so much substance there to invent and or interpret. And it's dark, it's um, brooding. Mm. And I just, you know, my idea is to bring beauty to that. You know, the, the great paintings of the world, which, you know, sometimes depict terrible things, are done in a way that's so transcendent because it is, um, you know, it incorporates a beautiful aesthetic. You know, it reminds us of why these things are tragic. Yeah. Just like the story of Turin, mm-hmm. which Michael still gives me grief over for liking. Well, every look, single- <laughs> everybody knows podcasts have to be entertainment. So on our I'm podcast, serious. when we cover Turin, the story of Turin, my, our, our co-host, Jonathan, um, and with Jonathan and I, Dan Coates, um, we, Dan and I like to give Jonathan a hard time about liking the story of Turin Turin Bar. I mean, I, but I understand it. I, I mean, it's the same reason people like Hamlet and, and, you know, the tragic stories have this, have this allure to them, which, you know, you, it sure it isn't the most beautiful story. In fact, it's a, it's, it's a story of defeat. In fact, oh, indeed, uh, indeed, it's a terribly, and, it's, it's the opposite of Lord of the Rings in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, the feel of it and all around it, uh, uh just thinking, uh, well, King Lear, a lot of people would certainly say that's a, a masterwork. I mean, it doesn't mean you like tragedy or bad endings or unhappy endings, but I mean, if you're limiting things to ha- happy endings, yeah. you're kind of limiting yourself in many ways. Exactly. The bopper of the world. And, <clears throat> and, I mean, uh, and even Tolkien said, right, history, life is a long defeat until the mm-hmm. final until the very end when, when everything will be redeemed. But it was, <laughs> you know. But I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that? Sorry, I missed that. A bit pessimistic. A bit pessimistic. <laughs> True. But it gives us great stories like Turin Turinbar. <laughs> Classic Tolkien. He lived through World War One. It must have yeah. been unbelievably traumatizing for someone. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's, um, I think um, I've been reading a, a book by uh, an, an author we're going to interview in a, in a couple months, and he he talks about in detail some of the, the direct correlations in the things that we see in The Lord of the Rings and the things that Tolkien saw in World War One, and even his son saw in World War Two, and it's really interesting uh, to know, like, when you go through true pain, you know what true beauty and true hope ultimately kind of feels like, I think, and he's able to communicate that better than almost any other um, author I've ever read. Indeed, indeed. He didn't become embittered by the war, but he certainly changed him. It changed him. It did. It did. That's well, true. I want to I want to ask you, I have to ask you this here, because we've been doing the reason I started the website in 1999 was because of the Lord of the Rings movies coming out. And I thought they they missed a great opportunity when they didn't bring you in to to work on the film. Uh, and so I, I'm just curious what your take on what the Lord of the Rings films was like, wh were you involved in any way or shape? Like, I don't know how they couldn't have said anything to you because I mean, you're <laughs> forefront, but anyway, if, 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 there, if there's anything to say about that, I'd love to hear what you, what your opinion is. Yes, I can certainly give you the, the, the basic information there. Um, and I was approached so that mm. part of it, you're right about Good. it. They did invite me to work there. Um, and it was just a really awful time for me mm. uh, around, 2000, 1999, and, you know, relationship was breaking up, I had mm. kids to deal with and stuff like that, and, um, yeah, I wasn't in the greatest shape to be kind of adventuring across to Australia or New Zealand or anything, yeah, yeah. and I wanted to work out of my studio um, and supply work that way, you know, sketches and things, but um, they did want to have a team there, they wanted to have a bit of a kind of a group dynamic and so on, so I understood, you know, okay, you know, that's fair enough, um, but I, I ultimately had to turn it down um, yeah. and yeah the terms were wonderful um, it would have been probably an extended thing um, yeah there was the consideration of giving up other clients at the time too so there was a lot of things i thought about in at that point but you know they didn't mm. stop them from borrowing from the artwork itself uh, over you know for a number of situations <laughs> If I'm if I'm asking too much, but did they ever approach you and say we'd like to use this vision of I don't know Karadras or something like that? I think yeah. of your, I think it was you. I think it was your painting of the Fellowship on Karadras, like struggling mm -hmm. through the snow. And I mm -hmm. think of that when I think of them struggling through the snow in the films too. Yeah, there was a number of images of mine that were put side by side with movie scenes, and you know you could see that there was some borrowing presumably there. Um, yeah, and Jackson owns a couple of my originals. One of them being, I think, across Gorgoroth would have been one of them. I think um, so. He knew of my artworks, etc. It just wasn't part of the, the whole, you know, final, you know, giving credit to yeah. influence. Yeah. And this, sort of, yeah, a lot of other artists were borrowed as well. So I mean, I wasn't alone. Well, speaking of borrowing, then this is where this is where the stream shut off last sure. week. So we're uh, going to bring, <laughs> bring up this question, which was, um, and and I'm I'm guilty of this here. Like, well, I, let me first ask the question, which is, what do you think of, of AIR, the proliferation of it, how it's being used by so many people? And I will say I've used it particularly for thumbnails for the, the podcasts that we do, because finding the right photograph in any um, royalty-free repository like Getty Images or Adobe Photoshop, uh, Photostock or anything like that, is difficult, is time consuming, and can be easier just to type something in and try different iterations of that for a few minutes. But then at the end of it, I haven't been using it for a while now. At the end of it, I just felt honestly a little dirty. Like I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel right. Like when you can say in the style of Ted Naismith, in the style of John Howe, in the style of Mondrian, right? You could do all these things and it would generate things for you and it just doesn't feel right. So what do you think about the prolifer pro proliferation of AI art? Um, 
where do you think it might go? What do you think art will increase or decrease? And, uh, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because you were in the, in that industry and uh, yeah. would be affected more directly by it than I think any certainly. of us. Um, and I am apprehensive, certainly, and, and I'm reading about it and getting ideas from uh, what others are concluding and listening to experiences and things. And I think it's one of those things where it's a mixed bag. It's uh, uh, um, nuclear power. You know, it could be used for good or ill for evil. Yeah. We're good and we're, we have to control it we have to obviously regulate this thing because it is becoming not just for artists and creators but almost any situation um, it will affect um, profoundly um, um, certain professions um, in many ways and so and, and there's this whole sort of driverless cars and other things kind of congealing together conflating together will um, be a bit shocking I suspect for, for many but and I don't know if you feel this way, Ted. I, the my sense about it is, in agreeing with you about the fact that lots of industries are going to lose jobs over AI. That's no doubt true. And also agreeing with you that, like nuclear power, you have to be really careful because it can be misused and to tragic effect across the world in an infrastructure sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, malicious AI, for example, which some people are trying to design for God knows what reason. But but there's yeah, but but the question that I that keeps nagging at me more and more is, how, what's it going to do for human endeavor with regard to art? Because artistic endeavor and visual arts, especially, are one of the. I mean, it's one of these enduring. I'm an amateur historian. Um, that's where my degrees are in, and it's it, it's just the, one of these enduring uh, human realities. And but but good art takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of dedication. And when you remove that barrier, someone could make an argument, oh, that means people will just do the same good art, but faster. So they'll have artists who will take advantage of AI to make more creations and, and more. That's one argument. The other argument, which I tend to lean towards a little, little more is actually people may stop being artists as much because because it takes you could spend a long time learning the human form and learning about landscapes and stuff and tediously going through that process or you or you can just opt out and have ai do all your art for you so right. I, i'm afraid it might kill the some of the spark not all of it but some of the human spark i don't know what are your thoughts yeah, i agree that there, there are many possible implications like that where maybe people will stop bothering with art thinking that there's no point to it now that it can be sort of superseded so easily with AI. Um, and art will probably split into a two or three new streams as a result hmm. of that. And we may judge art hmm. by different criteria um, if it's known to be AI. And that's one thing we need to be able to do is to actually be able to verify exactly what is AI and what is not. Yeah, so that people absolutely. have a choice to say, well, you know, it's it's lovely, it's beautiful, but um, it's not very human or it's not very kind of warm or something. And it lacks a certain soulness, possibly, and to uh, maybe favor artists who, um, you know, are doing it yeah. for the re right reasons or the traditional way. I mean, I'm old school. I don't use um, technology or um, photo <coughs> Photoshop or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I feel like I'm kind of a dying breed. <laughs> but I, I mean, so I had this discussion. Um, so so I'm building websites. We talk about like articles and, and people are talking about how, you know, we'll just have AI generate articles. And, and all AI knows how to do is to do what's out there. And so when you get AI generating 
the same different AI is generating the same information from the same pool the entire time. All you're getting is the same thing over and over and over again, slightly different, but you're not getting anything new. You don't get, you can't say something like in the style of the Google AI, draw this painting, right? It's not like that. You'd have to, there's, there's no, uh, there's no singularity to what, what happens to it. Although it is the singularity is what some people call it, but yeah, you know, there's no singleness. Like there's no mind that says I have a style that I want to pursue or even stretch myself into pursuit. Um, and so nothing new would be created. That's what bothers yeah. me. And it's kind of a grand imitator. Yeah. 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 And right. It, yeah. And like you said, it, it lacks a spark. Or the medieval stew pot, you know, since I'm in a story like that, that medieval history was my thing. And that's Why are we getting into food. Sorry, dude. But <laughs> like that's, that's what they, I mean, you, you'd, you'd do is people would just have this large pot right. co continually cooking. They'd throw bits and pieces of food and stuff they had from leftovers and it would all go in the pot and be continually heated. So presumably you didn't die from it. And, and, but, but basically it would end yeah. up in being this massive yeah. stew pot that, tasted like basically a mishmash of everything that had gone before it. Yeah. And that's what I feel like AI art is. If there's no actual true spark there, there's nothing really original. All it can do is take elements and, and very cleverly take elements from different artists and mush them together in this medieval stew pot of art. And, and uh, it could look kind of cool for a brief second, but it does, it just lacks the real, yeah. the real feel of a human for the it to be able to create new things or new looking things um is a different kind of creativity because it's not doing it out of the normal consciousness or inspiration right. coming through you the kind of thing we would understand as what creative um, means so um but it's still you know i saw some tarot cards that it created um someone had just said you know cabinet of curiosities that was the guiding principle and then you know, set, set it off. And my goodness, wow, some yeah. very extraordinary ideas came through. Uh, yeah. Very bizarre in some but, cases. But when I look at that, I think like, but who are you imitating? Right? Mm -hmm. when, like, this, it's coming from somewhere. Oh, yeah, and that, like and, and I'm, styles, but, yeah. yeah, and I'm, you know, generally I'm a very libertarian kind of guy. I like, I like, I don't want a whole lot of rules, but in, the more I use AI art, I'm like, when I see like this weird little scribble in the bottom right of some little thing, I'm like, that, that's somebody's signature that it's somehow trying to figure out like we got this from somewhere and there's a signature in here somehow that it's trying to recreate because it realizes that's part of the artwork and throwing it in there and i'm like there's got to be there's got to be some way to say this is ai and this isn't and i and what's funny is i know the google is trying to use ai to determine what's ai which <laughs> is really funny so they're going to be like okay this article this this drawing was it was it was it done by ai or not and then if it was push it down into the rankings. So you're not going to want right. to use AI. It's this weird right. battle that's going on. So. Uh, and I mean, the fact that they can't control the thing or don't even understand it, I oh, think that oh, should worry all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we can let, oh, Michael, you are muted once again, but whoops. It looks like I was going to say, we looks like we got through the conversation without <laughs> AI killing us again. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> we made it, we made it through. Um, all right. So, um, we do have a, an extended membership section that we're going to jump into, uh, but we, we want to ask this question of you, and we're, we're I think you're an, an inaugural person. We're going to ask it of everybody because we are uh, people who love to read. We are people who you know talk about it a lot, people, me, me Dan, and, and uh, Michael here, and all our listeners. And so we want to ask you, um, is there a book that we, like we all, because we're book lovers, should be reading that we're not reading right now. Is there something, you know, and it could be The Lord of the Rings, or it could be I don't have one. But I just like to say, like, is there a good book out there that you, you think you can recommend to people? Something we should um, be reading. 
Well, I guess I would, one book I would, would suggest is A World Without Mind by Franklin Foer, hmm. who is critiquing big tech. So there's a lot of um, ideas in that. And he comes down in favor of the written book, the regular kind of traditional book, saying that this is one thing that big tech can't look over your shoulder. It can't monitor it. It cannot control it. The Kindle was you know, originally supposedly designed to replace regular books, uh, that revolution didn't happen. Um, people like both of them. They have both have their uh, values and so on. But um, he, his background thing is that he used to work for um, Facebook. And he, when they brought in the like button, he felt that he objected to the idea. He knew that this was going to lead to, you know, a, a serious problem. Hmm. And he quit, um, but he became a critic of big tech through that. And it's an excellent little book that just um, hmm. ultimately concludes that reading is still our, you know, we, you know, that's one thing that um, it can't touch us. And it's yeah. therefore that, that much more important, I think. Fantastic. I think I've actually heard of that a number of years ago because this was this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a book from the early aughts. I haven't looked it up, but um, uh, it's a probably about six, seven years old by now. I'd say. Oh, it's oh, it's a little later. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll put a link to we, that below. We will put a link in. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna jump into our extended uh, podcast for our members, and we're gonna ask questions uh, from a few of our members, including. Uh, inspiration maybe we'll ask a few inspiration questions like what inspires um what inspires ted and um well well who who your other favorite middle earth artist is obviously it's yourself but we'll ask you if you have another one and i know that's probably tough because you probably all met all these in person and spent time with them and you can't really put them on the pedestal but we're gonna pose it anyway and give you a chance to, to answer it <laughs> our, our our subscribers want to know so yeah oh, well. right yeah. I put and Donato at the top. Um, I think, you know, we, people talk about the three, you know, John. Just Howe. wait, wait, wait. We got to do this in the extended podcast. Yeah, no, no. Got it. These, are, these are the good people. But anyway, um, if you want to get that, you can be, go to the wondering.com slash member, become a member. First month is free. It's $4 a month after that. You get that. You'll get uh, coupons to our shop, which is going to be out maybe by the time this comes out. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> and also a Discord chat where you can ask these questions. So head over there. Oh. Go yeah. Before we cut over, do we want to plug also Ted's uh, website? And I know. I'm just, it's my oh, gosh. Okay. You think right. I don't know what I'm doing here, Michael. I've done this my for bad. Like a my whole bad. year now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you can go there. You can get all that sort of stuff. And before we do leave, we're going to ask Ted, where, where, where can we go? Like if people want to get one prints of your work to uh, do a commission, uh, what's the best way to do that? And uh, anything else you want to promote? Mm -hmm. uh, go to my website there under, I think, shop. It will direct you to Alex Lindley for art prints and Alex Lewis for original sales and commissions. So that's the answer to that. Okay. And there's a Facebook page too, if you want to follow along. Um, and uh, I do, I do on Twitter, if you want to follow the wondering, uh, let's see, at Torque, T-O-R-C on Twitter, we do post occasional pictures. We have, we have a huge, so I'll tell you, I think I might've said this. One of the first things we did when we built the website in 1999 was there was no repository of Tolkien images. So we scoured the internet, getting all these images from you and from Alan Lee and from anybody else we could find. And then we'd have people submit them. And we had this big old gallery of tons of images. So I apologize. We've been promoting your imagery on our site for 24 years without asking you if it's okay. <laughs> so that's all right. Okay, good. A couple of big uh, yeah. 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 So, so, um, yeah, go to the, uh, 
TedNaismith.com. Naismith. Man, I, I've, I've been saying it wrong for so long. I'm so sorry, but I can't. I got to get to my head. And we're going to head over into our extended podcast right now. So we'll see everybody. And you freeloaders, as Michael likes to say. Sorry, go ahead. Say it, Michael. Goodbye, freeloaders.